Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Truth. One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us one more time. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in this place. Uh, We sense you. We believe you're here all the time. Uh, when your people are gathered, but um, sometimes we sense you in a special way, and we just sense that you're here and uh, with us, and we just praise you. Uh, We're just so thankful, God, for showing up in our lives this week. We're so thankful for just um, the beautiful uh, weather. I love fall. (laughs) It's so nice. Can't wait for the orange ivy to come. Please, Jesus, make it happen. Um, We we love you for everything you're doing in this community. We're just so, so grateful. Um, we're just thankful for what you're going to do in our lives this morning. Uh, we're thankful that you're going to move in advance. We just want to give you the praise right now that you're going to do something in our lives. Uh, you're going to do something in this church in this next season. We're just so thankful for that. Um, so, God, we just come to you with full hearts. Uh, we're grateful. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome. If you are new with us at Missio Day, um, they're welcome. They're, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, Bam wanted to mention uh, that there's a table by the coffee, uh, and he, we, one of our leaders would love just to say hello if you're interested in getting connected, being part of this family, joining a gospel community. If you've been here for the last three months, welcome uh, from me, because I don't know you. Um, uh, my wife and I uh, planted this church about five years ago, uh, and we, we uh, just love shepherding this community, being a part of this community. This community is our family. Uh, we've been gone on sabbatical for three months. Um, it's been incredible, amazing, oh, amazing. Uh, I can't, can't tell you how amazing it's been. Um, I do want to just share with you, like, these are some prayer requests that I had prayed. Um, my wife and I have prayed in different ways. I sent out to some of our closest friends. Um, here's how I prayed and asked you to pray for Ashley and I during the sabbatical, that we would have intimacy with Jesus and with each other, uh, that we would rest and be restored like physically, mentally, and spiritually. Uh, we prayed that we would have fun and connection. Uh, we, we asked that, that we would come back from sabbatical like more in love with Jesus, uh, more in love with the church, and like more in love with, with each other. Um, and I can say that God answered all of those prayers Above and, we experience all of those above and beyond than we have ever had in our entire lives together. So that's good news. Amen. Yeah, you can clap. Um, and so uh, this morning, I just want to kind of um, share a few reflections of things that God has been teaching us together as a couple, uh, some of the things that God's been showing us. But it's more than just us. Like, I think this is like a new season, this whole fall. is just God's going to take this church on a whole new journey. Um, I think like what we have been um, tasting and seeing, like God wants to do something in you. And what I want to say this morning is that like this is not something God is doing in the staff or the leadership. Like if God wants to take us to a new place, um, if he wants to work through us, um, it's only going to happen if you let God work in you. 
um, that if you let God something do something in you, this is not something that he's going to do through a few. Like, it's going to be because, like, you're willing to surrender to God and let him take you on a journey to, um, to be completely so intimate with him. Um, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about this new series we're going to do, um, inspired by the title of a book by Henry Nowen called Life of the Beloved. Any of you guys read Henry Nowen? Amazing contemplative guy, sat and just like listened to Jesus, hung out with like a disabled community all his life. Amazing priest. Um, uh, and so he writes this book called Life of the Beloved, and it just uh, made a deep impact on us um, just to, to, to sit and remind ourselves that we are the beloved of God. So I want to talk to you today about the fact that you are God's beloved daughters and sons. All right? I know you've heard that a million times. I know you've like, said that. I even asked my, my little guy, Jude, last night. I was like, Jude, who is Jesus? He's like, he's the one who loves me. I was like, oh, perfect answer. That's my sermon. It was like, oh, that's exactly who Jesus is. And I, I want you to, this season, like, my, my, my hope and desire is that like, for us to experience like, revival in this place, like, you have to let God like, meet you. Like, you have to... You have to be intentional. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to take a ton of hard work. We live in Chicago, for crying out loud. It's going to take a lot of intentionality, but I want us to be a community that knows what it means to be with the beloved, to be with Jesus, to become like the beloved, and to give the beloved away. So that's where we're heading the next five or six weeks. Is that cool? Amen. All right, well, with that said, let me get into our text. If you have your Bible, turn to John 13. I'm going to see if I can remember how to do this. Um, It's been a while. So, John 13, uh, verse 21 through 26. Um, as uh, Eric read, you heard the passage, but I won't read it to you again. Um, this is this, the scene here is Jesus is like about to move towards his pass, uh, passion life. That means his death and resurrection. Um, he's washing his disciples' feet in an upper room. Um, they're about to have the Lord's Supper. He's going to institute like communion, um, say, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. Um, before he does that, though, he, he, he says, like, one of you is going to betray me. Uh, in verse 21, it says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Uh, just a reminder, Jesus was human. In case some of you are like, just see Jesus as this like, like angelic, like only God's power. He was human, uh, troubled in his spirit. Uh, he, had, he had anxiety. He had temptation. Uh, he, was, he testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you. I mean, he's just so troubled, so anxious. That word trouble in the spirit is just filled uh, with, like, high emotion. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him and to ask Jesus, like, who's he, who are you talking about? Like, who's this one? And so, so that disciple, leaning, leaning um, back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is, he, it is to he who I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son uh, of Simon Iscariot. All right, then it goes on to say that, like, no one knew, like, why it was, Ju- what was happening. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, that's why, you know, everybody was just really confused. Um, so, so strange things happen in the Bible. It's kind of funny. This is like one of those strange moments for me. Um, so just let me paint the setting. There's a meal, there's communion, and they're at this U-shaped table. I think there's an image on the slides. They would have sat at a U-shaped table, and the seat of honor would have been the top of the U, and then the, the, the head of the table would have been the second seat. So it's a little, so much brightness in here, it's hard to see, but you see Jesus in the white. Obviously, Jesus didn't just wear like 
that. This is just like, you know, some guy just rendering. He didn't carry around lambs over his shoulder all the time, you know. Um, and then you see this uh, disciple that Jesus loved is the one leaning, leaning on him. Um, and then uh, Judas is the one to the left of him. So there would have been this U-shaped table, and they would have sat on cushions. So it would have been super chill. Like, it had been like, you know, you know, just like super chill, laying down, lounging, feet out. And so when it, it says that the disciple Jesus loved leaned back on Jesus' chest. Um, so I, I want to talk about what does it mean just to like lay back on the beloved today? Um, that's my hope for you. That you would move into the season as everybody's ramping up. It's fall. It's football season. It's, oh, the Cubs are going to be going to the playoffs. Like, let's go. We got we to gotta ramp up our jobs. We gotta, I just pray that you would, like, lay back on the beloved. That's my vision for you today. Um, and so I'm <clears throat> getting ahead of myself. But I, I want you to see that, like, Judas betrayed Jesus. So Judas knew, like, Jesus' thoughts. He knew his secrets because he was intimate with him. Um, he knew Jesus wasn't going wasn't to put up a fight at Jesus' death. Jesus is no longer able to contain his emotions, and he's troubled, and then he says, like, somebody's going to betray me. And just imagine the scene. Like, Peter is on this other side over here, and he's like, hey, hey, John. So we later know, just giving it away, we don't know yet, but John is the one that's called the beloved disciple. So I really want to kind of take you through John's life. I've been meditating on that this week. Um, I want you to see John's life today. Um, And he's like, hey, John, um, ask him who it is. And he's like, what? Like, he's like, yeah, ask him. Ask Jesus who it is going to betray him. And so the beloved disciple like leans back on his chest. It's like, who is it? And Jesus like goes, you see this, you see this bread? I'm going to dip it in the, in the wine. I'm going to give it to somebody. And that's the person. And you're like, what? You're like, Jesus is like so passive aggressive in this moment. You're like, come on. Like, what are you doing? Like, I, he's just like filled with anguish. He's like, hey, here's some bread, Judas. You want to try some? He's like, okay, thanks. What's that for? You know, and Jesus is like, don't worry about it. You'll find out later. Um, and so, I mean, just this moment where it's just this weird moment. Now, now it says that, that it was night and that Judas was betraying him. And it, it mentions like that when Jesus, Judas took the bread, he went out and it says it was night. Two things. One, is true because it was night, but John is, like, obsessed with polarities of, like, light and darkness, and he's trying to show that, like, Judas is, like, entering into the darkness. And in him was life, Jesus, and the light of all mankind, John 1 said, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. But here, when Jesus is the light of the world, is about to be betrayed, Judas was stepping into darkness. Judas was, was basically rejecting God's love. And I want, to, I want to spend the rest of our time contrasting that to the beloved disciple, who's this picture of light, who embraced God's love, who like rests back on the chest of Jesus. And that's this picture of intimacy. I mean, when you, the, I mean, think about the chest. I mean, there's right next to the heart. I don't know if he, I doubt he heard Jesus' heartbeat, all right? It sounds, it would, it would have preached really well if it said that. Um, but it is true that like John is like seat, sitting at the seat of honor. Um, he was in the most intimate place of all the disciples. Um, not only was he, because he was in the most intimate place, he received a revelation from Jesus. And it's when we are like the prize of like surrender, the prize of this season, becoming the beloved, spending time with Jesus, being with Jesus, the prize of that is revelation, people. Um, God's going to reveal so much about who you are, who you're not. He's going to reveal what you were made for. He's going to reveal like the things of his secret heart that he has for you the secret things in his heart that he has for the city. And so, like, the beck and call is, like, to just lean back in that intimacy, lean back on Jesus, like, lay back on him um, and receive his love. Amen? Is that good news? All right, cool. I just wasn't sure if you guys are with me. You guys are quiet. 
So, this is how, like, this is the posture of a follower of Jesus. Like, we are to this absorb this intimacy. Like, you need a pastor um, that's close enough to Jesus to hear his heart. That's my call. That's my call. You don't need a pastor to do anything else. You need a pastor two things. My call is two things, to, like, be close enough to Jesus to hear his heart so if you're not there, I can, like, help you get there. And the second is just to equip you for ministry, to equip you to do the work of the saints out of your flowing of who you are as your identity. Um, and, and I love this. Like in John 1.18, there's another verse that has the same Greek word as this passage. So um, anybody still rocking the old King Jimmy in here? Anybody? No one? Yeah, we got a hand. I love you. Old King Jimmy has this word bosom, all right? We don't, I'm not bringing back the word bosom. I'm not, we're not going all pride and prejudice on, on us this morning. But there's this word bosom. It means like this intimate place. This like, it's literally like in the definition of Webster, it's like a chest or two, intimacy with a friend. And it's this picture that like John used the exact same word that he had used in John 1. The beloved disciple was like, I'm the beloved because Jesus is the beloved of the Father. He says, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, Jesus, which is in the bosom of the Father, and he hath declared him. So John, the, the, John begins to retitle himself. I just think it's crazy. He's, he's writing this gospel. He's like, well, the, the disciple Jesus loved. The disciple. I used to think he's so arrogant. Like, it was comparative. Like, he'd go up to the other disciples, like, I'm the one he loves, sucker. Like, you know, he would just be like, yeah, that's me. You know, I used to think he was just this arrogant person. But I think that in the midst of John's insecurities, if you think about it, Peter was like the leader of the church. He was the, he, Jesus looked at Peter and said, upon you, I'm going to build this church. You're the rock, Peter. I think John wrestled with a lot of insecurities. But over time, actually, I, I kind of been thinking about this. I don't know if he called himself the disciple Jesus loved when this happened. I think it was later in life when he went through some transitions in life. I think when it got cold and quiet and he didn't hear the voice of Jesus for a season. I think there was a point in time where he looked back and he goes, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. And he realized, like, that's who I am. That's my identity. So how do we um, become the beloved? I want John to show us three things today. Our identity, uh, our calling, and our limitations, all right? Um, so first of all, our identity. Um, our world tells us that we are three things. Uh, you are what you do. Um, a lot of us, that's how we introduce ourselves. We say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm Brian the pastor. I'm, I'm so-and-so the analyst. I'm so-and-so the actor, actress. Uh, we, we, we introduce ourselves often with like who we are. Um, and if you do great at something, you're praised. Um, you feel great. You're very proud of that. If you're not doing so good, you're crushed. And your emotions are being ebbed and flow based off what you do. Um, we, are, we are told that not only are, are we what we do, like if we succeed, we feel good, fail, I feel depressed. We are like what others say about us. Words are very powerful. It's good that people say good things about us. It's a powerful thing. We're going to talk about doing that, actually. But getting our identity off what others say about us is crushing. It's crushing to the soul. It is a rat race. It is a treadmill that you can't get off. Um, if we are constantly looking for what others say about us, somebody says something bad about you, it ruins your mood, it ruins your day. Um, and then third, we are what we have or don't have. So um, if you have a good education, you have a house, you have a job, um, you have parents, um, any of those things, if you lose any of them, like you are devastated. 
Um, but if you have them, some of you get your identity out of what you don't have. Like you're like, I don't have much money. I am ill. I am sick. And you become to kind of clay this, you begin to become that. You become kind of this victim. Um, but then others of you like are so, you have so much in abundance and you're like, get your identity on those things. Um, but what I want to hear you, hear, want to tell you today is that if you are getting your energy in life based off of what you have, what you do, uh, what others say about you, you're going to constantly be up and down, up and down. You're going to zigzag. I love what Henry Nowen says this. He says this. He says, when we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, anybody else listen to that voice? Believe the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions, right? That's the treadmill. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence, says now on. So our re- one reason we self-reject is this trap of comparison. Um, uh, uh, we look at him, look at her, look at this, and then that leads us to be insecure, um, you're like, I mean, it doesn't help the fact that we, um, we have, we, we kind of, my generation was like raised with unrealistic expectations. Like I was taught you can be anything you want. Um, I think like the earlier generations, their parents, like the hippies parents were so strict. They were like, I'm going to raise my kids with a lot of freedom. You can do whatever you want. But what we began to hear was you can become an astronaut and an athlete and a major league baseball player. You can do it all. Like you can become anything. It doesn't matter that you're five, six, like you can still dunk. Like, no, I can't mom. I can't do that. Um, and so my generation was taught with this lie that you can be anything you want. Um, and so like, as a result of that, like back then, um, you know, the rest of society didn't catch up. So sports, you only got a trophy if you, like, did really good. Now you get a trophy for anything, right? Like, you show up, you play soccer, r- trophy. My daughter's in gymnastics, everybody gets a ribbon. You got to come be, you ribbon. Everybody gets a ribbon. Everybody, so, like, if you just are, you get a trophy, right? Now we've moved to this place where everyone's a winner, everyone succeeds, and it, it, and it often, it, it doesn't help us the fact that we have social media, um, which is just basically a tool for comparison, Right? Um, that we put our, project our best self all the time on social media. No one ever posts, like, the horrible days, right? Like, like, no one ever posts, like, I'm in a cubicle with no windows. This is my life, right? Like, working, and, you know, no one ever posts that, right? Um, uh, we love to post our vacations, our glamour. I'm with my hunk of love on, on date night. I work out. We do see that, dude. We've posted that, like, ten times a day. We see you work out. <laughs> We love to post, like, the best of us of what we think we're good at. So what this does is, is it robs us of this comparison. It robs our joy, which leads to insecurity. Oh, man, my job, my body, oh, my face, my, 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 my life. <laughs> Disappointment, my life isn't good enough. My story isn't good enough, which leads to I'm not good enough, right? So instead of feeling gratitude, thank you, God, we, we constantly feel... Um, other things, like we feel like entitled, like I should get this. Instead of feeling contentment, yes, uh, we're, we're constantly discontent, I need more. Instead of feeling just a sense of joy and enjoyment and wonder at God's creation and his presence, uh, we, we, feel, we feel a sense of despair. And all of us, I fall into this, all of us fall into this, because no matter how successful you are, there'll always be someone more successful than you. Um, success is like money, right? The more you get, the more you want? Is that how it goes? 
I'm making it up as I go, but the more you get, the more you want. It's like money, all right? Put that on your book that you're writing. Um, but John knew his identity. He knew his true self. Um, listen to Brennan Manning. Look at this quote. Oh, my goodness. Living out of the false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everybody will admire us and nobody will know us. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Man, isn't that so true? And so, like, God's calling on you is to know your identity, to become who you are, and the truest thing about you is you are the beloved. Because God the Father looked at Jesus, his son, and said, you are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Doesn't my favor rest on you? And because John's like, because I am in relation and deep intimacy with Jesus, I'm also the beloved. I'm, like, caught up in the rhythm of the love of the Father. And I am the beloved because I am hidden in Christ. I'm hidden in Jesus because that is true of Jesus, it's true of me. I'm God's beloved son. You are chosen. You are destined for good purposes. You are loved. He knitted you in your mother's womb. God has chosen you and loving you and taken you to be his, every single one of you. And every morning, we've got to fight to remember that. Every single morning. Um, at night, when we put our kids to bed, um, my middle daughter, Cora, she loves giving hugs and kisses at night. Um, kind of like obsessively that I begin to kind of worry about it a little bit. I'm like, is this okay that my daughters want to give me like a 10-second kiss on the lips? Like, I don't know if that's normal. I need to talk to like a therapist in any room. Somebody, if any therapist talk to me, let me know how, what, I, what I need to do. So I kind of got like, a little anxious about it. So I was kind of like, it was basically we'd kiss, and she'd go, mm, just kiss for a real long time, and then we'd give a hug, and then kiss and give a hug, kiss, give a hug. And I just kind of said something to her eventually because I didn't want to like shame her about it. I was like, Cora, you love giving them kisses. Like, you give a lot of kisses at night. And she goes, well, it's because you keep hugging me. Like, for her, it was like, <laughs> it was like the kiss is the end, like, not the hug. I was like, oh, I was thinking the kiss, then the hug. Like, like we were just like, oh. Like, so she was just caught up in this, like, moment of, like, and I think that's exactly what we're supposed to do with our life. That we're to like be in this like reciprocal love of the Father, not in this like cheesy, like kissy way, but in the sense that we're like caught up in the love of the rhythm of the Father, the love of the Father's rhythm, that we are just so embraced and, and it's just a constant dance that we are reminded that we are the beloved. We have to remember it every single day. And so we're going to get practical next week. We're going to talk about how we do that, mostly through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and kind of, we're going we're gonna, to... Yeah, I'm not going to steal the thunder on that. We're going to get a little bit more practical next week. Um, but I just want you to remind you of who you are, your identity. We have to know who we are, both in Jesus and how you were unique, uniquely made. You are, you are the only you in the universe, ever. It's kind of good news, I think. It's pretty amazing. Um, there's a famous quote um, from this book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Some of us went through it. Um, there's this quote, this guy named Rabbi Zusa. And Rabbi Zusa says, When I come to meet Jesus on the end in the last day, God is not going to look at me and say, why weren't you more like Moses? He's going to say, why weren't you more like Zusa? For every single one of you today, from translation today, when I meet Jesus on the final judgment day, he's not going to look at me and say, Brian, why weren't you more like Bam? He's so fun. You're so, like, melancholy. Like, come on, dude. What's up? Why weren't you more like Reed? He's like, talks with this gentle voice. He could, like, calm a dove. Like, <laughs> Why, what, what is wrong with you, dude? That's a compliment. It's amazing. When he talks, I'm just like, oh, Reed's talking to me. He's going to say, Brian, why weren't you more like Brian? 
Like, why weren't you more like you? We've got to live into our identity of who God's made you to be as his beloved son and daughter. Um, I remember when I used to, uh, when I was really young in ministry, I used to want to be like this, like, uh, speaker to youth groups. I love seeing, like, people come to know Jesus at youth groups, so I do that a little bit. I do these, like, little retreats and stuff. Um, so I just, that's kind of, like, who I wanted to be. Um, and uh, I remember I also became an interim pastor, and um, I'd be preaching, and I was young. I was probably, like, 20, I don't know, 26, 20, 25, 26. And I remember this old lady, like, introducing me to somebody new in the church. She's like, this is our, our, one of our pastors. And she was, like, telling them how amazing it was. I was like, oh, she's going to tell them about my preaching. She's like, the reason we love Brian and I was like, here it comes. She's like, it's because he just loves people. And I was like, oh. I was, I was like upset. I was upset that that's like what she said. I was like, no, it's because of my preaching. That's why you love me. You're good to me because of my preaching. You're like, I was just like, you're going to, and it's like, God's like, no, bro, like, this is who you are. Like, you're not embracing who I made you to be. Like, you're not, this, this is who you are. That's not what I made you to be. And so a lot of our life is just learning to begin to step into who we are, who God's made us to be, to just lay the release of laying back on the Father's presence and hearing this is who you are. Um, so that's identity. All right? Amen? And we waste so much time, do we not, trying to impress people who just don't even care because they're busy trying to impress people. <laughs> right? They didn't even pay any attention. And, and we can operate freely now in whatever gifts or abilities and strengths we Weaknesses we have. Now, I believe there's like a freedom of becoming yourself here this morning. I just love it. Second thing that John shows us is calling. Now, what you do with your life has to flow out of your belovedness. I went into sabbatical. Um, I'm a pretty ambitious guy. I like to be driven. I like to work. After sabbatical, I was like, I never want to work again. Like, I just don't want to, like, can I just, seriously, I do want to work, but you know what I mean. Um, but, like, you're, I went into, like, trying to, like, what's my calling? Like, what, what kind of pastor am I going to be? I'm going to be like a writer pastor. Am I going to be like a justice advocate pastor? Am I going to be like a church planning coach pastor? I was like, what kind of, I was just like, like what, what, what? and like, I went on this retreat with these like nuns and it was amazing. Like I just like hearing them sing, but it was like, oh, angelic presence manifestation. This is amazing. Yes, Jesus. And I was like, God, like I heard Jesus say this, like, what do you want? And I was like, you know, wrestling with the calling stuff. He's like, don't worry about that. Just like, just be with me. You know, like our beloved, our calling has to flow out of our belovedness. It has to. So don't go finding your calling, looking for your calling. Go to Jesus to look for your calling. Like that's who you run to to find what you're made for. And when you begin to see who you are, I love this about Jesus. Like Jesus used John to like cast out demons, do ministry. Uh, later on, John like, like was a part of the Jerusalem church and leadership. Um, he entrusted, but he entrusted like, some of the most profound words ever recorded to John. Um, but decades passed before John served in this church, and John hears like the news of Peter being crucified. Can you imagine? And then he hears of another disciple beheaded. And towards the end of his life, he's in solitary, remaining like one of the only apostles alive. There's not a lot written about him. We don't know a lot. So somewhere John began to form his identity as this beloved disciple, and he realized like Peter's supposed to build the church. Uh, Paul's going to plant churches. He's like, I'm supposed to just go be in exile on the island of Patmos and receive visions from Jesus and talk about the future and be with Jesus all day and just like write down what he tells me. That's John's calling. So his, do you see the connection? The beloved disciple, that's who I am. Intimacy with Jesus. Oh, I'm supposed to just be intimate with Jesus and just like everything flows out of that. And he's like, I'm just going to like be intimate with him and like write down the visions I see about what's going to come in the end. 
<laughs> it's just beautiful. He knew his calling. I love this picture that he began to two concepts that began to really radically shape him. We'll get to the second in a minute. First one is he began to surrender ambition for affection. He surrendered ambition for affection. I like, I like to think that John died just as he lived, like nestled close, um, his head like in Jesus' arms. And um, he went through a lot of transitions, I think. He was exiled. He led a church. He was then exiled to this island where he wrote these gnarly visions and dreams that people are like obsessed with today. Written really bad Christian movies about. But what we see is the prize of surrender is this revelation. The prize of like sitting with Jesus is, is this revelation. I love that. Like John, like at the end of his life, um, Jerome was this early church father. He wrote down that like at the end of his life, like John couldn't walk and they would carry John in on their shoulders. And John would look at everybody and says, little ones love one another. And he would just say it again and again, little ones love one another, love one another, love one another. And they kind of grew weary and tired of old man John. (laughs) He's like, dude, you say that every time. Why do you say that? He goes, that's the command Jesus gave us. There's nothing else better. He's just like obsessed with Jesus' love. That's the kind of community I want to see here, that we are so obsessed with Jesus' love, that we radically, unconditionally love one another in this community No matter our differences, no matter our different backgrounds or experiences or preferences of what kind of church we want this to become, the radical love, beloved of Jesus, changes our heart to love one another that when people come in here, they're like, whoa, what is this? I want in. I want in on the beloved community. That's what God's shaping here, amen? And so um, we've got to wrestle with our calling. Some of you are in transition right now. Um, Just want to say that. You're in transition. You're in a frustrating time. I just want to say it's worth the emotional energy to press into this. It's worth the emotional energy to press into who are you? Who's God made you to be? Um, and some of you, as you begin to wrestle with who you are and your calling, we buy into this lie of like, like we want to start thinking about our jobs. Sometimes our calling, our bo- this is a fancy word, vocation. Um, sometimes our job and our vocation are completely different, all right? Um, sometimes like what you, God made you for and what you're doing this season of work are just in polar opposites, and that's okay. Um, some of you, though, need to let go of some unrealistic expectations of your job. Some of us like, we want no emails, no admin. We don't become famous for what we do. We want to become like a young celebrity, and we want to be known for it, and we want to change the world, and we don't want to have any meetings. <laughs> and like, that's my dream job. That's what I want to do. You're like, no, it doesn't exist. You need to just, the way you find your calling is you just live life. You live into who you are as the beloved child of God, and you do things, and some things you're like, I'm really good at that. And other things you're like, not so good at. And you do it in community. You begin to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. John discovered his calling. I'm not supposed to be the martyr who dies for my faith. I'm not supposed to be the one who plants churches. I'm to be with Jesus and see his vision for the end and tell people about him and write as a single little introvert that I am. And I'm just going to write, 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 write about Jesus. That's who he was. And some of you need a paradigm shift to finish well. Um, we've got to we've got to be with the beloved people. We've got to remove this temptation to become professional Christians. Professional Christians that basically are like, I want you, Jesus, but like with this hand, it's like, no, not really. That we just learn the ritual of what it means to come to church, come here on Sunday morning. People like this is like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every single day, being with the beloved, knowing who we are, listening to our calling. So, um, does that make sense with calling? I, I want to kind of stop there because I got some other stuff I want, to, I want to talk about. I want to finish with the limitations. So John moved from his pillar position in the Jerusalem church to relative obscurity. 
relative obscurity. John, at the end of his life, he was one of the oldest disciples. He wrote this gospel at the end of his life. He could barely walk. He was, he was, he was not able to use his legs. Um, a lot of this is just from church history, not from the Bible that we see written about him. Um, and so John learned how to say no. Um, if we're going to live into our identity, we've got to learn to say no ruthlessly. Nicely, but ruthlessly. And some of us are just say yes to anything and everything. We need to begin to uh, receive, what are the, Peter Scazzaro in Emotional Healthy Church says, receive the gift of limits. Isn't that good news? That you're a limited person. Sometimes we don't see our limit. I don't, people like me, limits are like, no, those are to jump over. Like, I'm not limited. I can do anything. I can do everything. No, like, like who you are, the season in life you're in, your personality, we're going to see, it's like we have limits. Think about Jesus, who was the Son of God, had limits. Like, he removed himself in isolation to be in prayer with the Father. Jesus was human. He, he, he was hungry. He suffered. He died. He asked questions because he didn't know in his humanity and his divinity. He said no all the time. Someone came to him and said, will you heal me? He's like, sorry, I need to go be with Jesus. I mean, I need to go be with the Father. And so Jesus had limitations. Jesus was swimming in, the, in, the, in needs, and he accepted his limitations and in the end, he said, it is finished. We need to know our identity, calling, and limitations, and accept to come to peace with our identity and calling. Um, this week, I got this crazy, basically, invitation. Um, <laughs> like, somebody was like, hey, do you want to come work for me? You'll make six digits. And, like, I thought about it for, like, 60 seconds. Like, wow, that'd be amazing. And, you know, it's like, oh, that'd be nice. They could do this. And it's like, no, what am I thinking? Like, no, that's not who I am. It was just like this crazy, like, moment where, like, we are faced with offers and invitations and invites, and we respond based out of the city culture, not out of the kingdom culture. And so we begin to, like, remind ourselves, this is not who you are. You've got to say no. You've got to say no because you will be miserable if you say yes to something because you're getting your identity of what you have, what people say about you. And, 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 and basically what you do. So, limitations. Um, we all, we're all created equal, um, but Jesus tells this parable that, like, there's, this master gave to some people five bags of gold, and he says to some he gave two bags of gold and the other one bag of gold. This isn't about economy. This is about giftings. Some of you in this room are, like, five bag of gold people, and we all hate you. We do. We love you, but only because we we're supposed to love you, but we really hate you. Um, and, and, and so, like, for, for you, that's great. Like, live into the, the dream of Jesus. Say no to the, don't be a parody of the American dream. Like, live out the kingdom. Be responsible for what God gave you. But for most of us in this room, we're one bag of gold people, all right? We're one bag of gold people. And we look at the five bag of gold people, and we're like, oh, man, why didn't I have that? It's so hard for us. It's hard for us to see others do better. We feel the pain of insecurity. But our potentials and limitations are a sign of God's calling on our life. Um, Peter Scassero, he says basically the, the, a list of limitations. I just want to go through them with you. Um, he says, number one, your personality is a limitation. Some of you get your in- energy from extrovert, being around people, you're extroverts. Some of you get your energy around being alone, introverts. I mean, imagine if you're an introvert at the five-minute party. It's like a freak-out moment, right? You're like, oh, go get coffee, run. Others of you, I love the five-minute party, networking, yes. Um, and so our personality uh, is a limitation. It's a blessing and a limitation. Two, uh, season of life is a limitation. Some of you have young children, enough said, limitation on you, right? 
Um, some of you have elderly parents in need of care. Some of you are in a season of preparation. That's a limitation, the fact that you're going to grad school or college. Some of you are starting a new career. When we started Missio Day, I mean, we were working like 50 hours a week, 60 sometimes, trying to build this church from scratch, and that's not sustainable. Now God's calling Ashley and I to move into like a new season, a new season of an unhurried life, a sense of peace, a sense of rest, a sense of being with Jesus more. Can't always meet with everyone anymore. That's not, some, that's not something to push through, but it's a limit to receive. Um, and so, so that striving is going to be released when you begin to embrace your limits. That sense of striving is just going to be released. You're like, that's okay. It's not who I am. Um, your life situation is a limit. Like if you're single right now, that's a limitation. You can't do all the things that God's put in your heart. Um, if you are married, that's another limitation. And if you have kids, that's another limitation. They say your, your amount of free time when you get married decreases by 50%, and then when you have kids, it decreases by another 50%. So I'm managing on like 20% free time right now, all right? So I'm very limited, right? Three kids. That's a limitation to embrace. That's not a bad thing. Those are good things, good things. We also have physical limitations. Some of you are ill. Some of you have chronic pain. Um, some of you have, have like uh, pain that, that's been going on a long, long time. We want to pray for you. Um, and some of you have emotional capacity, different emotional capacity, um, that's another limitation. Some of you, like, have high bandwidth, love to do, 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 do. Others of you, like, you, you, like, some of you have the big plate. Others of you have, like, a little saucer for, like, a teacup. You're like, if someone's like, hey, I wanted you to, like, hey, stop. Don't ask me to do anything. You're like, I'm just going to ask you to, like, pass me the salt and pepper. Like, you're like, you're like, some of you have that, like, kind of, and that's okay. That's who you are. I love this. Listen to what Scazzaro says. He says, maturity in life is when somebody is living joyfully within their God-given limit. Let me say that again. Maturity in life is when somebody is living joyfully within their God-given limits. Isn't that beautiful? All right, so know your identity. We're going to keep going into that. You're the beloved. And out of that, you hear your calling and then receive the gift of limits this morning um, as you move and live through life. Um, Now, the worst thing we can do is just like close our books, go home and pray and eat because that's what we're all about to go do. The worst thing you can do is just think like, oh, I did that, like I got that done, or I'm going to go home and journal about that done. This is like a life process. This is like, some of this is going to take you three years, some of this is going to take you ten years. It's a journey that we've got to move on in and out of season. Um, so I just want you to process these three questions in the short term. Number one, who are you? Who are you? How can you live more into your true selves? How can you live more into your belovedness? Number two, what are you made for? Because of who you are, what are you made for? Three, what are your limitations in this season that you need to embrace and see as a gift that you've been trying to stretch and press against? And where are you living outside of them? Where is there unhealth in your own life because you can't say no? And so um, let's process these questions this week. Let's spend time with Jesus.